Today we are going to be walking through the latter part of Proverbs chapter 3. Um, Pastor Rashawn started us on this Proverbs chapter 3 tip um, last week. Um, we're going to finish Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to walk through um, verses 13 through the end of the chapter. Let me read a couple of verses and then I'll set up our time today. Uh, by the way, if you feel like the Lord has given you an impression or a sense or a prophetic word, would you come, uh, even while I'm preaching, to bring it to Pastor Jake um, so that we may be comforted by God's word to us? It says, happy is a man, verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 3, happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths peaceful. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and to those who hold on to her are happy. Are happy. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 form what scholars would oftentimes call an inclusio, uh, which is a fancy $5 word for it means it's a bracketed phrase, a part, portion of Scripture where they're trying to say something so important that they're going to say it at the beginning and at the end. That's what an inclusio is. Mark uses it a ton, actually, um, as we walked through that um, a little bit ago. But the inclusio here is right found in verse 13 and found in verse 18. Do you see it? What words are repeated in those two verses that you think the author of the Proverbs chapter 3 is trying to get across to us? Simply happiness. Happiness. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, 13 and verse 18. Those who would hold on to her wisdom are happy. So we're going to talk about something that doesn't get talked about a lot at church. We're going to talk about happiness because the Bible talks about happiness. Now I have a confession to make. I was confessing this to some brothers earlier this week as we walked through a similar passage. Um, this is not something that I, I excel at. Um, I don't know, somewhere along the way, I picked up that guys aren't supposed to focus on their happiness. They're supposed to focus on their responsibility. They're supposed to focus on their task. They're supposed to focus on the burden of raiding and leading a family. And along the way, happiness can come, happiness can go, but it just didn't seem all that important. And so as the Lord was leading me through this passage to prepare it to preach, I really got wrecked a little bit by it because the Bible seems to make a big deal out of happiness. A big deal. We're going to see in just a few moments what that deal is, but that was something that I didn't really think about. The Bible is about the mission of the people of God. Amen? No. Right? That was a setup. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? That's, that's oftentimes how I think about it. This is, this is the mission of God for the family of God so we can accomplish the, the will of God, and all of those things are true. But there's also some joy, some smiles, and some laughter in there. There's also some good and sweet moments. I don't have anything serious about them. And so today I'm going to talk about happiness. And if you're looking for a title for today, it's going to be The Pursuit of Happiness. <laughs> yeah. It's old enough. It's fine. You haven't seen it. <laughs> the Pursuit of Happiness. How many people have ever seen that movie, Pursuit of Happiness, right? <clears throat> if you haven't seen it, um, don't watch it now, especially if you have kids. You will cry the entire time. Um, it's about this guy named Chris Gardner. Chris Gardner is a real person. 
He is a real person. Um, it's based loosely off of, of his life events. And so Chris Gardner was once in the, in the military, did well, got out, um, ended up having a, a son, and things kind of went downhill from there when the wife split up. And so the reality is he spent most of his time homeless trying to care for his five-year-old son. And so the, one of the most jarring moments of the movie is when he, they locked themselves in a, uh, in a train station bathroom so they could find a place to sleep for the night. And he's barricaded his feet against the door so no one else could come in and him and his child can have a warm place to sleep in the up north cold winter. And it tells his, his story of just all the sacrifices as a father trying to provide. Down his luck was a hard worker, was a brilliant man, just trying to find a break. And the most profound line in the whole movie comes at the end, because at the end, he's walking down the street and he sees a guy driving a red Ferrari. Y'all remember this part? He sees a guy driving the red Ferrari. He's like, what do you do? The guy's like, I'm a stockbroker. And instantly he decides, Chris Gardner said, this is my way out. This is how I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to become a stockbroker. So he applied and applied and applied and finally got into this very prestigious training program for this brokerage firm. And he made 200 calls a day and worked really, really hard, pushing himself to the, to the limit, got to a place where he finally got on the last day of the training program where they were going to decide whether they were going to hire him at this time or not. Now, his whole life up to this point is riding on this decision. At this time, his children are being watched by somebody else. He's got no place to live. They've been moving from house to house, from, from hotel to hotel, to bridge, sleeping outside, sleeping inside. And so he's waiting on this one decision that could change the course of his life. They call him into the office, and they offer him the position. He walks out, tears in his eyes, celebrating. In the movie, it kind of gets silent. You kind of see him celebrating silently, and you hear this line said over with the scene that you're watching. This is the profound line that ends the whole movie. He says, this part of my life, this part right here, this is happiness. You see him and his child walking down hand in hand together, um, the real Chris Gardner actually walks by at the very end of the movie. Um, it's a little cameo there. Happily ever after, right? Profound movie. I'm crying because I got a son now, so everybody's story is my story, so I'm, I'm all wrecked. Um, but that's the point of the movie is finally all his hard work paid off. He got the thing that he always wanted, and so now he's happy. It's a great story, isn't it? And honestly, it's very similar to what the world tells us about happiness. Man, it's, it's right over there. It's, it's right over there, that next relationship, that next job, that next child, that next win, that next whatever. It's right always over the hill. If you could only get that, then it'll be happy. And these movies remind us that it actually does work. And so we get encouraged as we watch these movies to keep pressing, to keep waiting, to keep striving, because one day we'll be happy. Well, if you've lived a little bit, you know that those things kind of are always disappointing, aren't they? Think about those moments in your life where you did say that to yourself. You said, it's right over the hill. For me, it was when I graduated from the Citadel. Citadel's a terrible place. Don't send your kids there, right? Um, <laughs> but I was there. <laughs> Am I lying? Am I lying, though? All right. <laughs> All right. So for me, happiness was graduation. Man, if I could just, if I could just get out of here. Then I'll be able to be a real Christian. Then I'll be able to grow. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be on mission. Then I'll be all these other things if I can just get out of here. Because it's not me that's the problem. No, no, it's this place. 
It's this place that's the problem. Then I graduated Citadel and in a blistering hot summer, moved into a, an apartment with my sister. Um, and I'm a college graduate now. I'm finally here. Turn on the AC because it's 100 degrees outside. Get that first bill from old SC and G. $250. That may not be a lot to y'all, but that was a lot to me. I was like, huh, you got to pay for this air. And then all of a sudden I realized that the happiness that I was promised post-graduation was just filled with bills and responsibilities and life. And all my friends weren't my friends anymore because they all moved and it was, just, it was just me and my sister staring at each other talking about, you turn the heat on, no, you turn the AC on. Like, we're just fighting about this bill. And so the happiness that I, would, that I was holding on to for all those years when I graduated evaporated in an instant. And then it was, oh man, if I get this better job, then I'll make more money, then I'm going to have the AC on all the time. And so that became the new goal. If I get a, if I get a better job, if I get a better place, and I keep kind of pushing that happiness thing down the road, am I only one? Happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. We're going to walk through verses 13 through 35, and my, my goal is simply this, to say that happiness is not a destination. It is walk simply this. That's my life with the person, Jesus Christ. Simply this. That's my big conclusion. Happiness is not a destination. Happiness is walking the path of life with the person, Jesus Christ. Let me prove it to you in Scripture. Verses 13 through 18, we're going to see wisdom advertised. Actually, all the way through verses 26, we're going to see wisdom advertised. Then we're going to see wisdom in action. What does wisdom actually look like? And then we're going to see wisdom revealed. What's the big deal here? So let's go to wisdom advertised, verses 13 through 18, which we just read. Look again at verses 13 through 18. What do you see here? Happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver. Her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you can desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant. Her paths people. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. Doesn't that sound like good things? That's all good things. God isn't saying these things are bad. God is saying wisdom will get you there when your scheming and your shortcutting won't. You see, we define sin can be defined a couple of different ways. Sin kind of more, more rigidly can be defined as anything that disobeys God. Either command to do something or command not to do something. Anytime we disobey God's heart and God's will, we have committed a sin. If we were to define sin a little more relationally, though, sin can be defined as taking a shortcut to the thing God wants to give us. Let me say that again. Sin can also be defined relationally as taking a shortcut to the thing that God wants to give us. You don't think God cares about you providing for your family? You don't think God cares about your loneliness? You don't think God cares about your unbelieving friends? You don't think God cares about the needs that we have in this life? Sin says, I want to take a shortcut to solve that problem because I don't want to wait on God to do it. Wisdom says, wisdom says, I, I, all those things that you are striving for are in me, wisdom. Wisdom is being advertised here. The writer of the book of Proverbs is trying to tell us that this is actually a good thing to have. Verses 19 and 20 are going to take it even further, advertising wisdom to us. 
The Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. What are we saying here? Even the Lord himself applied wisdom to create the heavens and the earth. We're going to make a connection to that later. Like, look how good wisdom is. Even the Lord God created heavens and the earth through wisdom. Don't you want this? Shouldn't you treasure this above all other things? Verses 21 through 26, we're going to see something familiar. Rashawn's verse, Pastor Rashawn's verse uh, section last week was very fatherly in tone. We're going to see that fatherly voice return again. So we had wisdom advertised as a good thing. We had God himself being shown to use wisdom, create the heavens and the earth with wisdom. And then verses 21 through 26, we're going to see a father talking to a son again. Maintain sound wisdom and discretion, my son. Don't lose sight of them. They will be life for you. They will be life for you and adornment for your neck. Then you will go safely on your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. Don't fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and keep your foot from a snare. The question is being asked over and over again, don't you want this? Don't you want sleep, sleep? Some of y'all can't sleep because you're just worried about tomorrow. You're anxious about what's to come. You're staring at the ceiling at 2 o'clock in the morning, thinking and thinking, run scenario in your mind over and over and over again. How much is that solved, by the way? I'm saying this because I do this too, right? I just, my mind is always kind of thinking and wondering and, and plotting and planning. What about this? What about that? It doesn't actually solve anything. It's almost like a, a fun exercise I just do. It doesn't do anything. I just do it. 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm looking up. All right. What's going to keep me up tonight? And so these aren't pleasant euphemisms. These are life for those who've been burdened by worry and uncertainty. That you will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. When I was 22, that verse would have meant nothing to me. Now, man, a good night's sleep goes a long way. A good night's sleep goes a long way. A lot of problems in marriage can be fixed by good sleep now. If if we're honest, a lot of problems at our job can be fixed by a good night's sleep. And so these are real and tangible promises that are given to us through wisdom. Wisdom is being advertised here. So what is wisdom? So this whole first part of this section, the latter part of chapter 3, is advertising wisdom to us that don't you want these things? Don't you want a sweet sleep? Don't you want honor and riches? Don't you want these good things in life? Wisdom is the way to get there. So you saying, yes, I want these things. What is wisdom? When you hear the word wisdom, what do you think? Do you think big books and big words? Do you think degrees? The Bible is going to show us what wisdom actually looks like in verses 27 through 34, and it's probably not going to sound like what we think it is. I'm going to read the whole thing. We're going to walk back through it. Verses 27 through 34 says, When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when, there is, when it is there with you. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and lives near you. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways for the Lord, for the devious are detestable to the Lord, but he is a friend to the upright. The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. Was that what you were expecting about what wisdom is? 
Wisdom sounds a lot like, hey, y'all, don't be a jerk. Hey, y'all, provide for those if you have it. Hey, y'all, don't go along with the plans of the wicked. Hey, y'all, live righteously. It sounds a lot like Christian common sense. The commands that we see littered in the New Testament, we see are what wisdom looks like when it's practiced. I gave you a relational definition of sin earlier, um, that it's not just disobeying commands, but it's short-circuiting. It's taking a shortcut to get the thing God wants to give us. Let me give you a relational definition of wisdom, because a, a more proper definition of wisdom would be God's eternal wisdom being specifically applied in our life. Let me give you a relational definition of wisdom. A relational definition of wisdom would be walking with Jesus, going where he goes, doing what he does. That's it. It's not deep. It don't require a master's degree. It don't require 13 years of schooling. It don't require books to be read. It don't require all that. It means what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus treat that person? What would Jesus do in this situation? Where does he want me to go? How does he want me to live? You see, wisdom is walking the path of Jesus with him, which is good news for me. Because that means anybody can do it. Anybody can be a kind and compassionate neighbor. Anyone by the power of the Spirit can resist sin. And so wisdom isn't, re- isn't just reserved for the lofty among us. is isn't reserved for the intellectual among us. It's all of us are able to walk in wisdom. Amen? Because wisdom looks a lot like just doing and treating people like Jesus would treat them. So now... Verse 35, though, takes a little bit of a turn. So we had wisdom advertised. We got to see wisdom in action by loving one another, by walking in righteousness, by turning away from evil. But verse 35 does something a little bit different. It sounds more like the book of Proverbs that some of us are familiar with, kind of that that couplet command reward. Verse 35, this is going to be wisdom revealed to us, says, the wise will inherit honor but he holds up fools to dishonor. Now that word honor sounds like praise or applaud, but that word honor, it actually is a more akin to the word glory. It's, it, the word is trying to, it's trying to convey a weight of something, which is what glory actually means in most cases. So some translations will even say the wise will inherit glory, but he holds up fools to dishonor. Now what does that mean? that the wise will inherit honor or glory. Some of my Bible scholars may be thinking of a verse in Romans chapter 8. I'll read it. It'll be on the screen as well for us. Talking about this new life in Jesus, it says, verses 15 through 18, it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are his children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. If I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. You see, even in the New Testament, we have this concept of a glory that will one day be revealed to us, this future hope, this future glory. So what is verse 35 probably pointing to? The wise will inherit honor and glory. 
This is why the book of Proverbs is not just a bullet point list of things that you can apply to your life and your life will turn out better. That's not what the book of Proverbs is. The book of Proverbs is written to the people of God to accomplish the purposes of God. Because this future glory is only reserved for those who are co-heirs with Jesus, those who are sons and daughters of the king. This future glory, which may not be a promotion, which may not be the things working out in your life, it may not be a temporary or, or earthly glory, it may have to be a future glory revealed in Jesus Christ. When? When he comes back for his church. Then all of a sudden, whatever sacrifices we made to walk in wisdom in this life will be repaid a million times over. No one will regret being righteous in heaven. No one will regret waiting on the Lord in heaven. No one will regret not taking the shortcut and waiting on the God to provide in glory in heaven. And so that's what motivates us even more. But I want us to see something in Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I want you to see this. It'll be on the screen as well. Because it almost sounds like wisdom is too big of a deal. Proverbs 3 is trying to say, man, like riches and honor and life are all found in wisdom. It sounds like make, walking with God and doing the right thing is almost too big of a deal for us. So what is he pointing to? Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3 is going to reveal the true nature of wisdom to us. You see, wisdom isn't just doing the right thing or making the right choice. Wisdom is a person. And it says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him, in Jesus, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you make the connection yet? I said happiness is not a destination. Happiness is walking the path of life with the person, Jesus Christ. Why can I say that? Because that's what wisdom is. Jesus is wisdom, and if we walk with him, walk with wisdom, all the blessings of God are found in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. So you don't have to wait till that thing happens, so that person changes, so that promotion comes. You don't have to wait for your circumstances to change. True joy and happiness is found for you right now in Jesus. But the question is, are we walking with him? Or have we left the path and are walking on our own? Pastor Sean said last week, there's some things that we trust God in, but there are other things that we don't trust God in. We say, God, I got this part. The moment you try to accomplish your purpose, you end up using only your power. But if you would submit to God's purposes, you get to inherit God's power. If you stay on the path of Jesus, you get Jesus, y'all. So what decision, what shortcut could you take that will be better than standing step by step with Jesus? With his presence that only comes the fullness of joy. So here it is, church. Happiness is a big deal. I was sharing in the, the pre-service huddle I'm with the worship team, just encouraging them um, that I grew up going to church. I probably have heard, I've probably been to church a thousand times before I became a believer. 
My parents were super involved in church. It was kind of old school church. We go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and three services on Sunday. Um, so that was me growing up. It's just spending all this time around church. And all the, all the sermons that I heard, I really only remember one that kind of stood out um, as a guest speaker. Um, but you know what I remember the most about going to church? It's how miserable Christians seem to be. Just sad and gloomy people. Singing songs that are great. And everyone gets excited, but as soon as that song is over, just doom and gloom. And I'm not saying we don't have hard days, y'all. There's some days I walk into church feeling that way, right? Because we all carry burdens. But for that to be the dominant characteristic of our life, like what should be the prevailing characteristic of a Christian's life? Happiness. Joy. Why? Because no matter what happens, we win. No matter what happens. If we are hidden in Christ, Christ will reign forever, so we will reign with him. That's what the Bible says. So you can fire me. That's fine. My body can be racked with pain. That's fine. A future hope of grief and loss, and I can weep and I can mourn, but not as someone who does not have a future hope of glory. Because there's something, there's some joy, there's some happiness that you can't touch if you're a Christian. There's something on the inside, a future hope that is incorruptible, the Bible says. That no matter what happens in this life, good or bad, up or down, this is protected by God himself. And that's the happiness, y'all. That's a joy that provides strength to go on another day. Strength to pray another day. Strength to repent another day. Strength to be patient with that coworker another day. You see, the, part of the reason why we're struggling with other people is because we think them, if they would change, then happiness would happen. I'm going to talk to y'all for a second. Y'all all right? See, some of us are frustrated with our kids because what, if our kids would just act right, we would be happy. <laughs> Where are your babies at? Get them out of here. Go get, go get them out of here. Get, grab the oil. We're going to pray. <laughs> grab the oil. We're going to lay hands on these babies. Hey, we, we think if, if circumstances would just change, if that person would just change, if my spouse would just get it together, man, our marriage would be so good. If my boss would just, then I would love working at that job. You see, we're so frustrated with other people because we think if they would change, happiness would finally be ours. And here's the problem. It's hard to love people. Yeah, let me try to say this. Try to be nice. It's hard to love people when you're only in love with a future version of them. It's hard to love people when you only have in your mind who they could be and not who they are. Come on now. I, I take the help. I take the help. Because I'm up here preaching. Y'all looking at me like I'm just talking about the weather. That's all right. But it's hard to do that. But how often do we fall into that trap where we have this vision of who they could be and that's the person we want to love? And until they line up, it's just day after day of frustration, day after day of disappointment, because we don't love them. We don't feel free to love them because our happiness is on the line. Take that burden off of other people, church. Take that. Jesus can bear the burden of your happiness. No one else can. No one else can bear the burden of your happiness. Jesus can, though. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What are those treasures? Happiness is one of those treasures. 
and in him those things are found. So how do we get happiness, church? I said it at the beginning, I'll say it again. Happiness is found walking the path of life with the person, Jesus Christ. It's available to you right now if you just recognize who you are doing life with. And it's not your spouse, it's not your boss, it's not your coworker, it's not your mom, it's not your dad. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, some of us may, may need to get back on the path because Jesus will not be co-opted to our designs. Jesus has a plan for your life, and if you go with his plan, you get his presence, and you get his presence, you get his power, and if you get his power, you get his benefits. But he doesn't come along to our goals for ourselves. So some of us may need to do about face and turn around. We've been chasing our own kingdom and our own ambition and wondering why we're not happy. We're wondering why we're not happy. That's what the world does, y'all. The world takes and takes and takes and convinces us and convinces us to stick around and keep getting robbed from. Keep getting robbed from. One of the biggest issues now in here, I mean, it's, it's worth being said, one of the biggest issues facing um, our country today is something is pornography. It's running rampant, right? Do you know that even secular scientists say that pornography makes you less happy? It makes you less sexually fulfilled. It actually robs the joy that you're trying to get from it. It destroys your body's ability to even experience happiness. It destroys the way your brain works. That's what sin does. It promises you everything, gives you nothing, and takes from you. That's what it does. But Jesus promises everything, gives everything, takes nothing. Jesus is trying to take nothing from you but give everything to you if you would just submit to his life. That's hard to do, y'all, and I know it's hard to do because the world always offers us a shortcut. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be reminded week in and week out of how good God is. That's why we need to be encouraged and held accountable to our brothers and sisters that we can do this life of faith with Jesus together. Happiness is possible because it's not a destination, it's a person. Do you know? Do you know him?